BYU football stay in Sin City, not as sweet as they hoped it would be. We're talking about what to take away after a second viewing of the Notre Dame game here on a Film Review Monday and everything else that went on in BYU sports over the weekend. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, resident BYU insider. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. I am back home in my digs here in uh, Saratoga Springs, Utah, back from Las Vegas. Good trip overall, despite the loss for BYU, but had an opportunity on my way back north with my uh, family actually driving. I decided to pull out my iPad and do my film review while we were driving. And folks, uh, this is a game. I think BYU is going to look back at and say, what in the world went wrong in this one? Because the film review, I'm going to be honest, uh, there were good, there was bad, and there was ugly. And the thing about this is, I look at this, and so many things went against BYU in terms of the statistics, uh, momentum swings, that type of stuff. So many things worked against BYU in this game, but they had a chance to tie this game late in this one. It's absolutely astounding to me. In many ways, the BYU was as in this game, and that sounds weird, but they were so uh, tight with Notre Dame in that second half, all things considered especially after falling behind 25-6. BYU rallies to make it 28-20. Max Tooley gets that interception, and then BYU has a chance, you would imagine, or you're thinking, okay, they can get down the field here and get a touchdown, get the two-point conversion, and suddenly we're tied at 28-all. And obviously, things didn't play out that way. Logan Diggs had that uh, run on second and 17. He goes for 33 yards, and that essentially was the backbreaker that ultimately did BYU in in this game. But I, I, I just, watching this game for a second time. I was in the stands uh, watching the game live, obviously, with my initial observations I did in our postcast edition late Saturday night. But having a chance to sit and watch this game once again on my drive back north from Las Vegas, my overall takeaway, I guess we'll start here, is that BYU should count their lucky stars. They even had a chance in this one. Because so many things went against BYU in this matchup. Uh, For example, in the first half, Notre Dame, 259 yards of total offense in the first 30 minutes of this contest contest. BYU was 0-4 of, of third down and had just 67 yards in that. They had just over 8 minutes of time of possession. Jaron Hall, 3 of 8 for 11 total yards, a passing rating of 65.3. Just abysmal. Abysmal numbers for BYU in that first half. Then, in the second half, BYU finally finds a little bit of a spark. And it's just crazy to think about how tight BYU was in this one down the stretch. Now, the other thing I need to acknowledge is that Notre Dame held the ball for more than 40 minutes in this game. BYU had just over 19 minutes of total time of possession in this matchup. When you get that lopsided a number in terms of time of possession, this should have been an absolute boat race in favor of Notre Dame. I was walking out of the game last night talking with my brothers and my dad, who I had a chance to take in the game with. That was a really, really fun trip uh, to celebrate 
celebrate my father's 60th birthday and have some time with my brothers. So frankly, we're, uh, most of us are married. Only one, uh, one of my siblings is not married at this time. And all of us have lives, uh, jobs, kids, all that stuff to get together with them was really, really, really fun. But walking out of the game last night, my brother, and I, I love him to death. He was complaining about BYU's defense. And yes, the, the, the metrics in this game for BYU, not fantastic because total yardage, 496 total yards on its head does not look good, especially 234 rushing yards. Notre Dame rushed for an average of 5.2 yards per carry. So you would be like, okay, BYU's defense, the rush defense, absolutely abysmal once again. Was it great? No. But we have to acknowledge that in this game, I thought BYU's defense actually took a step forward. The metrics, the numbers don't say that, but think about it, folks. They held Notre Dame to three points inside the red zone multiple times, multiple trips inside the red zone. They stoned uh, Notre Dame on a fourth down to get the ball back in one instance. Max Tooley got another interception late in this game that actually gave BYU some hope of some momentum maybe to get down the field and tie this one up. I actually think despite all of the numbers really looking bad, I thought BYU's defense actually took a step forward. Were the run fits perfect? No. But I actually thought in multiple instances, linebackers and defensive linemen actually made better plays on the ball in the rush game than I anticipated going into this one. Notre Dame was fully intent on running the ball and controlling the line of scrimmage, and they did that. I I don't think I can say that any clearer, but If you watch this game a second time, look at the defense. There were steps forward made by this defense. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. You lost the game, obviously, and you 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 have to you have to live with that fact. You're now four and two on the season, and you're now unranked in both the major national polls out there, the coaches and the AP poll. But the bigger story, I think, is that BYU's defense, I saw multiple instances where I say, okay, they're making some progress here. Like I said, there it was like a, in some ways, you would see two good plays put together, and then a third play where things went back to kind of what they had been the previous three games against Oregon, Utah State, and, and Wyoming, where it's like, oh, okay, that, now that hurt them. You want to see them put together the three straight plays, get a three and out, that type of stuff. That happened a couple of times in this game. But I thought, and it just it it makes no logical sense. I, I get what I'm saying here, and maybe you guys disagree with this, but I would love nothing more than to hear your take on this. I actually thought BYU's defense held them in this game. BYU's defense gave BYU a chance to win this game. This is a BYU game that they had 280 total yards, and they were one drive, and I mean one drive away from tying up this contest. You can't tell me the defense didn't do their part in this one. Like I said, the numbers, the metrics don't say that, but anybody who watched that game, I believe, like I said, I'd love nothing more than to hear from you guys. Maybe it's our question of the day. Do you agree with my take that BYU's defense was not the weak link in this game? The BYU offense, in my opinion, was truly the weak link, and that's where I think more of the the blame lies. And I want to talk about the offense and uh, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But one other note I wanted to make on the defensive side of the, of the coin is that BYU, I actually thought in this game, they played their hearts out that you could see there was more passion from BYU. We saw blitzes that I had not seen in at least a few weeks from BYU in multiple instances. Did Drew Pine have a fantastic day? Absolutely. He did. And there was a point where he completed 13 straight passes and he absolutely made life miserable for BYU's defense, but there were instances, especially early on in the first quarter and also in the fourth quarter, where BYU actually generated some pressure via four-man and also some five- and six-man rushes up the gut, and that, that, that was a positive sign. So, 
I'm not saying it was perfect because nothing can be perfect, especially when you lose a game in, in the the fashion that you did. But I saw BYU's defense play with, uh, I guess, some renewed uh, energy, some new, um, I, I just some some new life. I, I guess is the easiest way to to explain what I'm trying to say. Because I thought that this defense was more in, okay inspired. Yeah, in, they were more inspired. I felt like in this contest. Like I said, the numbers don't bear out uh, how well I thought they actually played. Because it was very much a quote unquote bend don't break type defensive performance. They gave up almost 500 yards of offense. That, that's in many ways indefensible. But when it came to the scoring territory inside the 20 yard line, BYU's defense. Stewart is about as strong as I have seen them stand this entire season. So I need to tip my cap to the defense a little bit here, even though it's not necessarily a perfect performance. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, I'm, I'm invoking his name here, he talked about the fact that he thought if his defense held an opposing team to 24 points, he felt like his team was going to win more often than not. And uh, BYU did just that. They, it was 28 points, but you're in a relative same stratosphere of what Bronco was talking about. Now, the offense is where I'm going to kind of focus more of the bad and the ugly, because the good for me today was BYU's defense. Like I said, it was it was far from a perfect performance, but BYU's defense played with more passion, some more energy, some more inspiration this game than I had seen in quite some time. It, it seemed like against Wyoming and Utah State in particular, BYU's defense was just kind of going through the motions and just trying to get through those games. It felt like this game, they got back on the field and said, you you know what? We're going to go out there and do our part. And they did do their part. Now, let's talk about the offense. What is the status, status of a guy like uh, Jaron Hall? We'll talk about all of that. But first, you need to spend a minute talking about our new friends over at Simply Safe. The numbers don't lie. In the past decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. You don't, do not earn that trust of that many people without doing something right. And at Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. That is what Simply Safe is here to do for you, my friends. They want you guys to feel secure in your own home and the best part is Simply Safe has got all of the most advanced technology to help you out as a homeowner, renter, no matter what your situation might be. Also, the best part also is that they have a 24-7 professional monitoring network where their agents will call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch p- uh, police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home and can't be reached. They blanket your home in te- protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, and smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real and even hazard sensors that incidentally detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. That is what Simply Safe is all about. They want to give you that, that peace of mind, the, the security, that secure feeling, knowing that everything is being monitored for you. So customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. The best part is you can save up to 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. And once again, that's visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like simply safe. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. Now, uh, for more from my film review uh, Monday is, first off, I want to send my best wishes out there to Gunnar Romney. There's a report out there that he actually spent the night in a hospital down there in uh, it, 
in Las Vegas, and I sincerely hope that he is okay because that's a scary, scary deal if he re-injured uh, that lacerated kidney that he had because the, the biggest concern with that lacerated kidney in the lead-up to him actually returning to action for BYU was that they wanted to avoid any potential re-injury there because that's an internal bleeding risk. That, that, that is like life-and-death type stuff that he was dealing with with that lacerated kidney. So the first thing was, I guess, a, a, some good vibes being sent the way of Gunnar Romney. Now, also, the offense in this game, folks, I I don't get why BYU cannot get out to a, a quick start. It is absolutely astounding to me that they have found every seemingly uh, different way to shoot themselves in the foot and hurt themselves. The very, I mean, the you all saw it, the very first play of the game, Jaron Hall floats a pass that was just a wobbler, and they go up, speaking of Notre Dame, and intercept it, and all of a sudden, they steal that possession on the very first play from scrimmage. That was absolutely brutal, and it kind of was like the, the, the foretelling of what was to come for BYU's offense. Were there instances of BYU's offense having a very good day? Yes. I actually thought that Christopher Brooks maybe had one of his finest performances and maybe his finest performance as a running back for BYU in this game. He had 14 carries, 90 yards, and a touchdown. What more can you ask for? Well, maybe give him the ball on fourth and one when he's kind of got the hot hand. And I can see why BYU might argue, well, uh, Lopini Katoa, he had that uh, that 20-yard gain on that third and 18 to get that first down. That was critical. Sure it was. That was a completely different circumstance. You know that Notre Dame is going to put 300-pound guys on that front line in that 4th and 2, 4th and 1, whatever the scenario was. And you know that they're going to be trying to stonewall at the line of scrimmage. And a 235-pound power back who's got the ability to put his shoulder down and try and run through those guys versus a 195, 200-pound scat back, which is what Lopini Kato is, I bet my odds on my 235-pound power back and give him the ball. Or keep the ball in Jaron Hall's hand and see what he can do with maybe an RPO action. I think there's going to be a lot of second guessing and Kalani Satake talked about critiquing his coaching staff in that circumstance uh, with that fourth and one call and looking at it. They took the time out to talk about it. This offense found so many ways to hurt themselves. It was just, it was astounding to me re-watching this game. Now, let me also acknowledge, Jaron Hall was not himself in that game. I don't care what he says about no, 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 contrary to popular belief that there was no shoulder injury. Bull honky. There is something going on with Jaron. He is not healthy. And I, I, I heard that all week long from multiple people saying that the quote I was given was, Jaron is, quote, banged up, unquote. That That is the quote I was given by multiple people inside the BYU football program. But they expressed uh, uh, optimism that he would be himself and be ready to go on Saturday. He did not look like himself. That was not the Jaron Hall that we have known uh, all season long through the first five games. Is delivering passes with precision. They were lasers. They they had uh, they had the uh, the ability to get the ball down the field. And in the first half in particular, the lack of not the lack of being on the field for BYU. I actually think that Jaron Hall's arm looked worse in the first half than it did in the second half because in many ways, if it was injured, it felt like as he threw more and more passes as this game progressed late in the game, it seemed like his arm started to free up a little bit and maybe it just kind of got a little, it got uh, warmed up. And suddenly he started to throw the ball more like he had earlier on in this in the season. His arm didn't have the regular uh, pop, I guess is what I'm trying to say, when it came to delivering passes. Some of those passes were sailing. Some of them were dipping uh, as they got closer to wide receivers. This is a guy, speaking of Jaron Hall, that I've seen him throw from the opposite hash clear across the field and deliver a laser earlier on the season. I'm not 100% certain that he could have done that in that game against Notre Dame. And... That, that is the concern 
is that Jaron Hall, however long this is going to last, how do you modify the game plan to give him the best ability to succeed? Do you have to rely on your running game a little bit more? Maybe you do, because BYU, to their credit, that's, I guess, one other positive thing, is that BYU ran the ball relatively well. 160 yards rushing on 29 rushing attempts. That's 5.5 yards per carry. That's the best rushing output BYU's had since, what, the Baylor game? No, it's not even the Baylor game. It's the USF game for BYU. So... The, the the offense it felt like became the weak link in this game where it just in like kind of a bizarro uh, twilight zone type fashion the defense ended up being the stronger side of the football in this game for BYU when for most of the season it's been the defense that's been failing in offense that had just been absolutely humming especially in the passing game the 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 bizarre abil- inability to get guys like Pukunakua Gunnar Romney the ball in this game. It, that hurt BYU. 9 of 17, 120 yards for Jaron Hall. 100 of those yards, by the way, went to Cody Epps. And Cody Epps deserves props. That dude is emerging into maybe the next star for BYU at wide receiver. Is he the biggest guy? Is he the fastest guy? Is he the most physical guy? No. None of the above. But what he is, is a polished receiver who knows what he's capable of, and he knows how to get open. That's something that Puka couldn't say in this game against Notre Dame. It's something that Gunnar Romney, before he left with that injury, couldn't say he could doing this game Keanu Hill etc nobody outside of Cody Epps really could find themselves open and Cody Epps to his credit was a star on this game but for every star it felt like in every big play BYU had in this game though they're usually and I've talked to enough coaches now in my career and this goes to BYU Utah I've, I've talked with enough college coaches who will tell you that any single game in many ways you boil it down to essentially between anywhere usually four to six critical plays it may be as many as 10 critical plays in a game that a game is decided on and it seems that so infinitesimally small to think that four to six plays can really decide a football game. But if you really, really look at it, that's many times how it comes down to it. And in every circumstance, in my opinion, the plays that decided this football game went against BYU in this one. And in some ways there is a luck element to it, but at the same time, there are other instances where you create your own luck and BYU found a way to not only not create their own luck, they found a way to essentially just, uh, give it away in some ways. And that that is the concern for BYU as they now get ready to take on Arkansas. And uh, just a real quick a check, uh, our friends over at Bet Online will talk about them more in a moment here. BYU is a three-point favorite at our friends over at Bet Online. Their their initial opening line has BYU favored by three. So essentially, they're thinking this is a pick and as a home team, you typically get three points if all things are considered equal. So BYU and Arkansas going to do battle on Saturday afternoon out there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium and it's going to be a big opportunity for BYU to show what they're made of because this is an Arkansas team that is hell-bent on running the football. The only teams that have outrushed them, I saw this from Greg Rebell, the only teams that have had more carries in a game on average than Arkansas this year are the service academies. Navy, Army, and Air Force who are all running that triple option, spread option look. This is a team that's going to test BYU's medal, especially in that rushing attack on defense. So, there is a, a big opportunity for BYU on offense to show that, you know what, Notre Dame was an aberration. We're back to doing what we do, especially in the passing game against Arkansas. But you can guarantee that Arkansas is going to take uh, notes from that Notre Dame game and say, you know what, we should be able to do the same thing. We're from the SEC. We, sh- we should be able to shut down BYU defensively. Now, the metrics for Arkansas defensively, not so hot. And we'll talk about those as the week progress. I uh, hope, hope to have John Neighbors from Locked On Razorbacks on with us. He is the host 
host uh, covering Arkansas here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hope to have him on for a crossover edition of the podcast. But just going back to the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game, last thing from me, is that BYU, this offensive performance in this game should should be a cause for concern because there was decisions by coaches, there were decisions by players uh, that, that both absolutely hampered BYU's ability in this game. Uh, the other thing about this, in the ugly, how in the world, six games into the season, do you have multiple instances, three that I can remember off the top of my head watching that game. There might have been a fourth, actually, that I noticed. I think BYU actually figured out in time to have just 10 guys on the football field. Kalani Satake said, well, it's a coaching error. We need to figure it out. Kalani, that can't happen. You have enough GAs, uh, analysts, and 10 assistant coaches that having 10 guys on the football field is unacceptable at this time, at this stage of the season. This is not peewee football where it's like, hell, oh, Johnny, you forgot. Get back out there. No, this is high-level Division One football. This is Power 5-level football. That type of stuff, it's supposed to be ironed out in training camp. That should not even be a question. And I think this is just one other thing I guess I'll add before we move on to some other topics, is that if this is going to be a continued issue for BYU, Ed Lamb and the hockey substitution decisions that BYU decides to move five and six and seven guys in and out of the lineup on on every four or five plays, it feels like. If that is going to cause BYU to have multiple instances of having just 10 guys on the football field, stop it. Just stop it. Play your number ones. Let them play the majority of the snaps, and when they need to blow, have them tap on their helmet and then get the guy in for the guy that's coming out. No more of this hockey line substitution crap, especially if it's going to cost you timeouts and penalties in a game of the magnitude that you faced against Notre Dame. It cannot happen. It should not happen. And the fact that it's continuing to happen, that is absolutely unacceptable and abysmal. And it's a stain on Kalani Satake as a head coach because he has to answer for all of that. That that stuff, that that, that is like the, the small stuff that you should not have to sweat. And you're sweating it seven years into your tenure, six games in to a season which you had a chance potentially to move to five and one in a game. Had you had a couple other things bounce your way, you might have been dancing out of Las Vegas with a five and one record and potentially moving up to maybe as high as what? The top 12 in this country? Instead, you're now currently one spot out of the coaches poll, three spots out of the AP poll, and now you have Arkansas coming to town who is going to think, you know what, if Notre Dame can do that to them, we're going to do that to them. That's where things stand right now. You cannot have this small stuff because small stuff becomes big stuff. It, it filters up in many ways. And that, that that's the frustrating part for me watching BYU and uh, looking at what can be improved. This is the small stuff. You, you, you This stuff should not be a problem for BYU, but suddenly and, and somehow it continues to be a problem that rears its ugly head every so often. Yes, you only had one penalty in this game. Okay, that was much cleaner, but the fact you had to call multiple timeouts in the first half because you only had 10 guys on defense is just atrocious. Revisit it, figure out what is wrong, and figure out if you need to have a GA who's literally counting heads coming off the field and going onto the field to make sure that you have the proper numbers of guys on the field. It shouldn't be this hard. It really shouldn't be. But somehow it is. So 
I guess I'll step off my soapbox and just leave that for another day. But I, I, I'm I'm planning. We're going to be talking to Kalani Satake later today, and I, I plan on uh, maybe I won't be the one that asks it, but I do plan to ask him how he's going to go about rectifying that issue. Because, like I said, small stuff becomes big stuff, and this is the small stuff that shouldn't be a problem. It, it just it's insane to have that many people on a sideline, and the fact that you can't get more than ten guys on a football field. It. It's just, it's insane to think that that is an issue right now for BYU. But alas, it is. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll round out today's show with some notes on how the weekend went for other BYU sports. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit more about uh, some other just quick takeaways on the BYU football front as we go out the door here. But first, a a word on our friends over at Bet Online. They are your number one source for all of your football betting information this season. As mentioned, Arkansas coming to BYU is a three-point underdog to BYU. Arkansas three and three on the season. BYU now four and two. But you can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis in every game that you can find right now and as always bet online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up to the minute scores for every sport out there it is the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events including major league baseball mma boxing golf nba hoops coming very very soon college basketball not too far off as well so head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more now that's bet online where the game starts all right, before we go here on today's show, let's catch up on everything else that happened over the weekend in BYU sports. I'm sure a number of you, like me, were on your way uh, back from Las Vegas yesterday and maybe didn't get a chance to catch up on how uh, things went for BYU soccer, BYU women's volleyball. So let's catch up on that real quick. The good news is, is the number 14-ranked BYU women's volleyball team had a successful weekend. Uh, they took down San Francisco in their second straight sweep of the weekend, winning 25-20, 25-14, 25-17 at the Smith Fieldhouse. That was Saturday afternoon. Uh, Heather also was quoted saying we were super focused and dialed in today. So a fantastic showing for BYU, who now improves to 13-3. and They're 6-0 and in the West Coast Conference. Uh, they beat uh, Santa Clara on Thursday behind a 429 hitting clip, which is actually a really, really high hitting number for BYU. So, uh, so far, a perfect run through the West Coast Conference already underway for BYU women's volleyball. I actually really thought that the non-conference slate for BYU, where they did lose those three matches, uh, tested BYU. They played some of the top teams that they would like see in an NCAA tournament in the non-conference and now they're uh, I think reaping the benefits of that as they come out firing early on in West Coast Conference play. Now on the women's soccer side of things they were in Pacific uh, in Stockton California to take on Pacific on Saturday. Uh, that was Saturday night. They ended up uh, drawing 1-1 uh, with the Tigers. So not your best uh, performance, obviously, going on the road. And the be- worst part is, is yet again, another late equalizer allowed by BYU in this game. It's kind of become a little bit of a trend for the women's soccer program uh, with BYU giving up a late goal here and there to some of these teams. Think about it. At home, they had Utah State. No, it was actually up at Utah State earlier this season. Maybe it was at home, but regardless, Utah State equalized late. Uh, BYU got the goal early on Olivia Wade getting her fifth goal of the season in the 14th minute, and then uh, they were really maintaining things, and then late in the game, give up that. And the the worst part is you outshot uh, Pacific 38-10. to It earns BYU just their fifth draw, though. They're now 5-2-5 and uh, in the West Coast Conference, so it... it I don't know what BYU has to do, but they need to work on, I guess, finishing off opponents. They're going to be back on the field this coming Saturday when they host Portland at Southfield. That'll be Saturday night at 7 o'clock. It'll be on BYU Radio, also streamed on BYU TV and the BYU TV app as well if you want to tune in and watch the women's soccer program a week out. It'll actually be later this week on Saturday. So, 
uh, I guess my overall takeaway from today's show is that BYU, it's going to be just yet a, a, a week of looking back and saying, what if? Because this was a game that BYU, had they not had essentially what it felt like in many ways, a no-show in the first half. I know you had the ball, had 67 yards, eight minutes of time of possession, all that stuff. Had you not had an, another abysmally slow performance, a slow start, I guess I should say, in this one, who knows how this game turns out? What if you don't throw an interception on the very first play? What if you put Christopher Brooks in on that fourth and one? What if Puka Nakua doesn't get interfered with and actually hauls in that pass on third and seven that he ultimately dropped? There are so many things about this game against Notre Dame that are going to be what if to death. But the, the simple fact of the matter is BYU is now a four and two. And uh, tomorrow on the show, uh, we're at the halfway point of the season. Uh, we'll talk about where things stand for the Cougars at the halfway point. Simple fact of the matter is they're four and two. They're just outside the top national polls. I was surprised. I will admit that BYU did drop out of the polls, but there's been a lot of up and down uh, movement in terms of big swings when you lose games this season from the pollsters. Uh, Utah fell quite a bit after losing to UCLA. I've seen a number of teams in the position BYU was in at number 16. When you lose a game, even if it was a one-score game like it was to Notre Dame, the pollsters have shown uh, just a... they. They've done it multiple times, not just to BYU, multiple teams from that uh, back half of the teens. If you lose a game, they're not afraid to drop you right out of the rankings. So I guess I was surprised, but I guess I shouldn't have been at the same time at BYU's drop. But the nice part is you win this week, considering where you're sitting right now, one spot out of the coaches poll, uh, your number 26, if you want to dole it out there, and then number 28 in the AP poll. Well, you win that game against Arkansas this week on your home turf, and you probably are getting into the back end of the top 25 once again. You're, you're really that close. But just, man, another close call for BYU that just come up on the short end of the stick once again. And the, the slow start stuff, it's got to be figured out. And I, I look forward to speaking with Kalani, seeing if he has any answers after thinking about it over the weekend. Uh, we'll be talking about that on tomorrow's show, talking about it throughout the weekend. You're ready for Arkansas. Be talking with other coaches on Tuesday and Wednesday at practice. We'll have you covered. So don't worry about us not uh, getting the answers for you. We will endeavor as a media core, myself and the other media members out there, we'll be doing our best to make sure that you are up to speed on everything going on when it comes to BYU as they get ready to take on Arkansas on Saturday afternoon. But Thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. It's always a privilege to sit down, crack the mic, and talk all things BYU with you guys, whether you listen to it in the regular podcast form out there or you happen to be watching My Ugly Mug on YouTube. I appreciate it all the same. Now, I want to encourage you guys as you go out the door here, make sure you check out our our friends over the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Make it your second listen. It's a great way to get caught up on the weekend that was in all things Big 12 football with our good friend Josh Neighbors. He does a fantastic job making sure that you know what happened when it comes to BYU's new conference home. It's crazy to think, still in my mind, that BYU is going to be a member of the Big 12, but it's coming very, very quick. Next summer, July 1, BYU will be entering that prestigious conference and cannot wait to be a part of it. So if you want to get up to speed on everything going on in the Big 12, make sure you check out Locked On Big 12. Get it free and available wherever you get your podcast, just like this one, or check it out on YouTube as well. All right, that'll do it for us. Have a great day, my friends. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast, and we will talk to you guys again soon. See ya.